Rick is teaching from Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 this morning. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were f- the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Uh, That sounds better. Let me me pray for us. God, I, I pray that you would guide our words and guide our thoughts. This morning, Father, I pray that you would um, draw us into your presence, Father. I pray you would um, enlighten our hearts and our minds to what it is that you have to say to us, Father. And I pray that you would, um, God, make us aware of the foundation that Christ has laid in each of us and our response to the acknowledgement of that foundation would be to love you and to serve you and to love one another and serve one another. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. Um, so if you have your Bible and you're looking at Ephesians 1.14 and you see a period at the end of, of verse 14, uh, Abram, go back to that, that whole thing. Um, you see that period right there at the end of, like right after glory? Um, that's the only one that's supposed to be in the, the last... 11 verses. The others are like readability additions that the American, the English language has, has put in there. All right? So what you have from Ephesians 1, 3 to uh, Ephesians 1, 14 is one 200 plus word sentence. Um, I've been told by uh, a guy that I greatly respect, um, one of my teaching my, my preaching teachers, that this is the longest sentence in all of Scripture, is Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Um, and it's interesting, it, like the dilemma here is that we have broken this one sentence down into three sermons. Today is the third of three, so we're going to deal with the, the third third of this sentence. And so the, the dilemma is we could stay here together. Like two weeks ago, we could just all stay here together for like three and a half hours and like, and listen to that sermon. It's really funny. I got one person nodding at me, one person shaking their head. It's pretty, pretty good. Um, but so, but ultimately this is one long thought from Paul that he intends to get, get across to us. And then next week we'll look at a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church based on the, this one sentence that he's just read. So ultimately, again, th- this is a, a letter written by Paul to a church in, in a city called Ephesus, and um, it was designed to be read and like chewed on in one sitting. So it's, it's a little bit difficult for us. Um, but I, I want us to know at the beginning today that this is one long sentence. And so I think it's a good idea for us to kind of reset the series and just kind of uh, quickly go through the, the first two thirds 
of the sentence and then deal uh, more specifically with the last third. But ultimately, what is happening here is Paul is just gushing over what Jesus has done for us. Um, And remember, Paul is laying the foundation for the church, for a church, and we can insert ourselves into this conversation and into this, this book that we know as a, as, a, as a book. It's a letter that we know as a book. Um, we can insert ourselves in there and take this as specific instruction for us as individuals and us as a collective. Um, so Paul is laying this foundation for us. So I want to go back. This is the fourth sermon in the series. I want to go back to each one of the three previous sermons and, and spend just a few minutes laying that foundation. So sermon one was we skipped, if you remember, we skipped to the kind of towards the end of the book where it says, Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So fundamental to this series, fundamental to this letter, fundamental to this church, and fundamental to the, the big church is this simple foundational statement that Paul makes, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I think the, all the argument that Paul is making throughout the course of this book, throughout the course of this letter that he's written to this church, is to say this one thing, that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this word submitting is hupotasso, and it means, it's a military term foremost, and it means to willingly place yourself under. Think of a, a major or a general or somebody really important placing themselves who had, he had the right to make people serve him, but instead of making people serve him that he had the right to, he willingly placed himself under and served those who were supposed to serve him. And that is what Jesus did for us. And it's the call that I believe the foundational call for the book of Ephesians and and therefore the foundational call for us as a church, as a collective and as individuals is to do this to willingly place ourselves under, to submit to others because Jesus first did it to us. So this one long sentence, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, is the substance of that which we are supposed to revere. Make sense? So that we're going for this idea, submitting to one another because of Jesus. And these 11 verses we've been studying the last two weeks and then again today is the substance of that reverence. Jesus is so incredible, and the gifts that he's given us are so incredible that we, our natural response, and it's, it's, I'm going to say that word a lot today, our natural response is to serve. So a lot of times in a church, we come with this baggage that these are the things we have to do in order to get Jesus. It's, that's backwards. We've got Jesus, and because we have Jesus, these are the things that we do. And I also think this about Ephesians 5.21. It's a simple guiding principle by which to live, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Are you frustrated? Think about times in your life where you've been just frustrated, Maybe somebody you love is not loving you the way that you want them to love you. Or maybe culture is, is making you frustrated. Or maybe life is making you frustrated. Just think of the things that, that frustrate you. And frustrating just means a, a response, an, an angered, tense response to things, the order not being the way it's supposed to be. Look around our world and there's frustration everywhere. It's easy to get frustrated. 
I believe the antidote to frustration is found here in this verse. Serve. If you're married in this room and you're angry at your spouse, serve them. If you live in a community and you're frustrated and angry at the community, serve it. Because, like, if you just understand the totality of the gospel and what Jesus did, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, while we were repulsive to God, while we were frustrating to God, he came and served us. So when you get frustrated at someone, serve them. You'll never, ever be more Jesus-like than when you serve the one that frustrates you. Here's something very basic that I've tried to do in my life is when Jen and I are in a fight or, or, or like I'm mad at her, my... So there's, there's this long linear process where I get mad, I get angry, and, and then somewhere along the way I start to think, how do I get past this anger I know I need to serve my wife. Okay, I'm going to go do something to serve my wife. And I usually, my, the, the quick response for me is go do dishes. And as I'm doing the dishes, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm only doing these dishes so that my wife will love me. Because I want her to see that I'm serving her. And it's just this, this backwards notion of... It's really just manipulation. Um, I'm going to serve you and I want you to see me serving you so that you will in turn serve me because I served you. And it's just, it's ultimately Rick serving. Um, And then I just process through submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then I see Jesus. Um, That's very helter, skelter, and, and disjointed. But... The point is, if you're frustrated, serve the one you're frustrated. Sermon 2 in the series was from Ephesians, the first part of Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. I want to look at a, a few, two verses in, in Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons of through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Again, one, this is the beginning of this 200-word sentence that ends with where we'll end today and is the foundation of that which we should see in Jesus. And it tells us very specific things about who we are. First, we are chosen. Even as, a, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of this world, I want... The, the danger with Ephesians 1, the first part of Ephesians 1, is that people get all bent out of shape about Calvinism versus Arminianism and, and, and deep theological things. But I just want you to know this, that Jesus chose you. We don't need to get into the, the, the depth of the theology of that. I mean, let's let the words speak to your soul. Jesus 
chose you. And because he chose you, it has, his choosing you has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the love and the grace that God has. Before the foundation of the world, that's what comes after the chose us. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world means that it's got nothing to do with what you bring to the table. If he chose you before the foundation was laid, before this world's foundation was laid, he chose you. If that's true, it's got nothing to do with any merit that you might have because you didn't have merit yet. That's incredible. And then think about Ephesians 5.21 and all the frustrating stuff that I talked about. Serve the people that frustrate you. It's got nothing to do with the people that you're serving and everything to do with what resides in you. And if you've accepted Christ, His grace, His fullness resides in you. Serve. Not only are we chosen, the second half of verse 4 says that we should be holy and blameless before Him. This means... That any blame or shame that you feel between you and God is a lie from your enemy. You are holy and blameless. Always. Indulge me, please. We, you guys willing to indulge me? Thank you, Brett. I want us all to say together, I am holy and blameless, all right? So, I am holy and blameless. Like, it's one thing for me to stand here and say that you're holy and blameless, but I think it, maybe it, it doesn't for you, but it does for me. It just kind of echoes in my, in my heart when I say it. Let's do it again, right? I am holy and blameless. In him, I am holy and blameless. That's incredible. And it's the foundation of the reverence that leads us to submit, leads us to serve, Any shame that you sense ever, ever is a lie. Verse 5 says he predestined us for adoption. And if you remember, that word adoption is is a compound word that means one is to make and the other one is a son. Jesus, the same God, the same way that he made the earth, that same phrase, to make, is this phrase. Just like he made the heavens and the earth, he has made you one of his children. He has created your sonness. Then sermon three, last week. Here's an excerpt. Verse seven. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Verse 7, redeemed. We have redemption. Redeemed is this releasing affected by the payment of a ransom. Don't fret. Don't worry about your position, your standing with God. There is no reckoning that's coming. You hear me? There is no reckoning that's coming for your sin. It already happened. The reckoning that was due for your sin was poured out on Jesus. There is no reckoning that's coming. 
you've been released from the payment of the ransom. You're also forgiven. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Your sin is not being held against you ever. It's gone completely. The Bible says your sin has been separated from you as far as the east is from the west. If we stood in this spot and started walking north, we would reach the North Pole. And then once we passed the North Pole, we would start walking south. We can reach the end of the world northways. If we, as far as the east is from the west, if we started walking west from this spot, we would never stop walking west. Your Father, your God, has separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. Something that is not, we're not capable of grasping that concept. Isn't that incredible? My wife gets mad at me when I do this, but I really wish I'd see more smiles when I said something cool like that. You are completely forgiven. And it's upon that foundation of your complete and utter forgiveness that Paul is arguing and and laying the foundation for who you are in Christ. This is a, a possession that you have always. And because of this possession that you have always in Christ, God is building something that he planned from the beginning of time called the church. And God is building something from the beginning of time that he planned called North Church. And it's built upon this foundation that we are a bunch of frustrated, terrible, awful, flesh-driven sinners that are self-centered and self-focused. But in his wisdom, God decided the plan was to bring us together in this time, in this place, with this message, with these people, to proclaim to all of us that we are redeemed and forgiven Completely and forever. This is what you have in Jesus. As much as you have the shirt that you're wearing, you have this in Jesus. It's yours. Redeemed, forgiven. So, all of the, Paul is laying out all those things. You are chosen. You are holy and blameless. You are adopted. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. Completely. Then he ends this 200 word sentence with what we'll talk about for the rest of our time today. Verse 11. I want to read the whole thing and I want you to see these incredible words of incredible strength and significance. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." Look at those words. I've got them underlined up here. Look at inheritance, predestined, hope, sealed, guarantee. These are strong words. Inheritance. 
In God's context, it's something that's waiting for you, secure. For Peter talks about this inheritance that's kept in heaven for you that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. Like what we have in Jesus, all this stuff, this redeemed, holy, blameless, forgiven, all of those things that we just talked about that we have as a possession, God is keeping, God is keeping those. Important, you're not. Your abilities, your ability to not sin or your ability to serve well, your ability to serve with, with, with good intent, with selfless intent, your, none of those things matter to your inheritance. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, and it cannot perish, it cannot spoil, and it cannot fade. It's complete and full, and it's, and it's, it's fullness. It's there waiting for you. And again, this is not just for you. This is for us to be a church together. To know that everybody in this room and everybody who's ever in this room and anybody who partners with us or engages in serving us, we're all together. The church down the street, the church around the corner, the church in China. We're all together, desperate in need of Jesus to be our inheritance. So when someone frustrates you in this regard, serve them. See what happens. The second underlying word, predestined. Don't get bent out of shape about predestined. But just understand that it means you, there's, it's just got nothing to do with you. And that's incredible news. Because I know my heart and I know if, if I've got no one around me and no chance of being found out, I know what I'm capable of. And I think you probably do too. But before that thought entered your mind, God decided this was going to be my plan. I'm going to send Jesus and I'm going to secure your connection. That's all that predestined mean. Don't let it mess with you. Then hope, verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope. And our American version of hope is, I cross my fingers that I hope my team wins this game today. That's our definition of hope. This definition of hope is a, a confident expectation of something that you know will happen. There's a confident, God has given you confident expectation for something you know will happen. It's yours as a possession. It's secure. I'm being redundant with the word secure because I think we need it, because I think we're insecure creatures when it comes to us and God. But I'm also being redundant because Paul is redundant. Then, before we get to the the last two underlined words, I want you to see what I've bolded and italicized here in verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him. That's your role. Hear and believe. Like all of these, all this security, like that's just incredible, you guys. Religion all around the world, even this one called Christianity, Some places teach this and 
Some places just kind of inherently believe this, that there's something that we need to do or have to do that's a part of this equation. I can't be with God because of what I've done this week. It's a lie, you guys. It's a lie that, like, I've literally spent the last 11 and a half years in this church proclaiming this message that it... It's got nothing to do with us and everything to do with God, and I don't participate in any way in my salvation. It's a lie that I've preached for 11 and a half years in this place, and 11 and a half years in my living room on my cream chairs, to many of you and many who were in this room in one time. Yet my stupid brain always believes that I need to participate in some way, that somehow I can do something to bring space between me and God. The only thing you do, it's just news. The gospel is just news. You just hear it. Wow. And our response is obedience. Not our prerequisite is obedience. Your prerequisite is to hear. And you're all hearing it right now. Then, sealed. This word sealed is... Uh, the word picture language is a scab on the skin. There's a wound that happens, and then a scab is a seal, seals up that wound, and then the scab falls off and it's skin again. That's the word picture. You're sealed. So let your mind spin there. What once was a wound is now sealed and it's skin again. It's one, it's flesh, it's complete, whole, not lacking, not broken, not torn, unified. That's incredible, you guys. You're sealed with a promised Holy Spirit. So the Spirit dwells in you, the Spirit is, is connected to you. You are always connected to the Spirit who is a guarantee, a guarantee, makes me think of Tommy Boy. You guys know the, the scene I'm talking about? Yeah. I can't quote it in this context. Um, but a guarantee is only as good as the, as the guarantee or. God is guaranteeing. God is guaranteeing. You guys, God is guaranteeing. And again, I want to end with where we started. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All, this whole sentence is laying the foundation for that which we should revere. And our response, our response is to do what Jesus did. Willingly place yourself under. So what does that mean? What does that look like? I think it means, where's there a place here in this church that you need to serve? Where is there, here's what drives me crazy. People choose churches 
for the way that that church can serve them. That's so stupid. It's stupid. It's stupid. Thanks, Travis. It's just stupid. And it's just self-serving. And it's so anti-gospel. And it drives me crazy. The inverse of that, where does, where does God want me to... What passions, what strengths, what gifts, what weakness around me is, is real? And so the, God has called me to plug into that. What do you think this world would look like if Jesus went to the place that would serve him? No, he, he left that to come here where he was needed. And he served and completed. And then he did all of this stuff that we've just been talking about. And this is the heart of where we are and what God is calling us to. That's why I'm so excited about where, we, where North Church is. We're, we're a small place. And we've got a lot of need. We've got a lot of need. But that's great. It's exciting because we get to, when we're plugged into a place where, where need abounds, we have an incredible opportunity to be like Jesus. And I promise you this. Where you're the most like Jesus is where you have the most joy. The most self-centered thing that you can do is to serve And, and the command of this book, whose purpose is to teach the church how to be the church, is to lay this foundation of what Jesus has done for you and then call you to respond to that by being that in your, in your circles, to your family, to this church, to your community, to your work, to your school, all of those places. God is calling you to serve there. And as he's calling you to serve there, he's calling you to call us to serve there with you. You hear me? You're serving in your kid's school, and there's something happening there. Text a few people, hey, let's go do this together. And your response better be, okay, let's do it. This is like all of the gospel, all of, all of the Bible is here's Jesus, here's God, here's grace, here's love, here's all of those things. And now, what's our response to that? And the book of Ephesians, the the gospel is, here's Jesus and all that he's done for you. Now, what's your response to that? And ultimately, that's found in the Hebrew word, hupatasa, willingly place yourself under because Jesus did it first. Um, So my role as your pastor is to present to you the gospel and your role in that is to think about, figure out how to respond. So all that's been done this morning, let's figure out how to respond. Um, in, around here, what we typically do is pray and then sing and then forget. God, help us to not forget this morning.
God, help us to be motivated by the beauty of your gospel, by the beauty of the sacrifice and example of your son Jesus in all that it affords to us. And God, would that be the foundation? Would that be the motivation? Would that be the energy behind our serving our world, Father? God, I pray against shame that we might feel. I pray against somehow anyone in this room feeling secluded from your love. God, I, I, I pray that that individual would, would, would sense the truth that there's nothing that, that they or we need to do to be in your presence, to be called children of yours. And God, may that send us on mission to serve. God, and Lord, would just allow us to be used by you, Father. Give us moments of meditation on you and meditation on, on what you've created in us. God, my spirit worries that what might be heard is we need to go serve in soup kitchens or we need to go serve in, in homeless ministries or maybe that's true, Father, but maybe it's not. Maybe you've called us just to go and, and, and serve the person across the street who's lonely or maybe serve the teacher in our kid's school who's frustrated God, just have your way. That we might respond to what you've done by submitting and surrendering. God, teach us what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name.